leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum. He's a regular on the program, and he also works for Premium Hoops. And uh, recently, that, uh, that website, they, they started doing a top 100 players in the NBA. And I figured, you know, especially since we have done this exact podcast uh, for, for the past couple of years, it'd be great to bring him back on a few weeks before the season starts, Scott Levine. Scott, thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, it's, it's always great to be on, Garrett. Uh, how, how is everything? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, you know things are uh, things are looking up with the election and everything. So uh, you know I'm I'm a little more hopeful. And uh, I uh, you know you know me I'm also a big movie nerd. And there's a, there's a few good movies coming out, especially uh, Mank uh, coming out okay. on Netflix. It's uh, the new David Fincher film that I'm I'm pretty psyched about. But uh, yeah, things are things are going well. How, how's uh, how's things on your end? Oh yeah, pretty good. Um, did you see Did you see Shit House? I did. I loved it. Oh wow. What a great movie. Um, I actually didn't know about it until Zach Lowe interviewed the guy who made it on the Lowe Post. And then I, I watched it the next day with my girlfriend. And yeah, we loved it. Yeah, Cooper Rafe was the director. It was his directorial debut. And uh, for those that haven't uh, haven't seen it, it's kind of uh, going over the, the college experience and being homesick and not really um, relating to a lot of the people that you interact with on a daily basis. I, I related to the film a lot. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, 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 like, um, I felt like sometimes I uh, tried too hard to like immerse myself in college. So it was kind of cool to see the opposite perspective of a guy who was very hesitant to do so. You know, um, 
you know, he still was calling his family every day and whatnot. <laughs> Not to say I wasn't, but like, you know, I, I, I was more like his roommate. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was, I was more like the main character, very reserved and, uh, um, you know, it, my sort of philosophy was I don't enjoy partying, so uh, um, yeah. why why force it? But but anyway, let's uh, let's get into the uh, the topic that we were uh, we here to discuss, and uh, I I briefly mentioned it. We're going to be breaking down the top thirty players in the NBA, and again, this is a, the third annual uh, version of this uh, this episode that we have done, and uh, we choose thirty for a variety of reasons. But I think it's interesting given that there's there's thirty teams in the NBA. It also gives you a perspective of, um, you know, how the talent sort of goes and how that works in, in tiers. You've got the superstars, then kind of the all-star level. And, and uh, when you get to 30, we even we even get to borderline non-all-stars, those elite role guys. Um, but, uh, you know, Scott, I, I guess one question I had for you was, you know, now that, again, this is the third time that we've done this technically the fourth. Cause we also one year we did like an update halfway through the year. Uh, but, uh, what is, what is something you've learned from doing these about sort of your philosophy on the game? And, and, uh, of course I can speak for both of us when I say we've, we've nailed some selections over the course of these episodes. Uh, but, uh, we've also had some, some head scratchers as well. Certainly some head scratchers. I think the biggest thing is just to go with your gut. Um, you know, you might seem outlandish leaving a guy off top 30 who's an established star. But um, one I think of last year was Mike Conley. I think we both had him in, like, the 20s somewhere. And, you know, it was the year that he kind of showed some age, showed some injuries, and maybe you could say it's just the injuries. But I think that there was kind of a big adjustment with his game. Um, part of that comes from being in a new environment, but... Maybe also it's from, you know, because of those age and injuries not having the same explosiveness on the ball. Um, so basically, it's really easy to fall out of this top 30. And on the flip side, you know, I think I had Luca in like the 20s. And I kind of wish I just shot my shot because I thought he was going to be really good this year. Um, and I don't know why I felt the need to hedge that. Yeah, we both had Luca between like twenty five and thirty, yeah. which is uh, yeah. yeah. Like I, I think that neither of us saw this, but you know, I think we were also like, I want him to prove it to me first. But meanwhile, uh, he's just going to be a top fifteen, top ten player, and we're going to look silly. Right, and you know, I, I think we've both suffered at times from overreacting to a playoff run. I remember, I think the first time we did this, we both had Chris Middleton in our top 30. And then prior to last year, we both did not have him in there because of his uh, struggles in the previous postseason. But uh, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, spoiler alert, he's in my top 30 this year. Yeah, he, he just made it for me. Um, and then another one was the first year I had Damian Lillard, like 15th. I had him like behind Drew Holiday. And, Obviously, Drew just had eaten his lunch in that series, um, the Blazers-Pelican series in 2018. Damian Lillard's a better player than Drew Holiday, uh, so that's one another one I overreacted about. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I overreacted to, even last year, LeBron James missing the playoffs. I had him fourth last oh, yeah. year, and that was not great. And uh, uh, you, you were also a little higher on Anthony Davis than I was, and then also... 
you were correctly a little lower on Paul George. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, a little lower on Paul George. Um, I'll be interested to get into talking about him. Um, do you have anything else you want to go over before we uh, start at number one? Yeah, the the one uh, caveat we say before uh, before we start the rankings each year is that these are our expectations for the upcoming season. So this is the 2021 season. So anybody that it, we're expecting to miss the year like a Clay Thompson is not going to be in our rankings. But yeah, I just wanted to clarify that first. Anyone listening for the first time to one of these? But uh, yeah, Scott, why don't you get us started with your number one player for the 2020-2021 NBA season? Um, and it's funny, you just mentioned him. Uh, I, I went with LeBron James. I think he showed that he is the best player in the league until he says otherwise. Um, I thought it would be Giannis going into this season, but kind of held out hope that LeBron would prove me wrong and in the playoffs, and he did exactly that. Yeah, I, uh, I have LeBron at number one as well. Uh, I, uh... I feel bad about putting him as low as four last year, but uh, yeah, he he uh, he obviously was the. Uh, I guess not obviously. It was it was uh, debatable who was the best player, especially during the playoffs for the Los Angeles Lakers. Another guy named Anthony Davis was also superb uh, throughout their run. But uh, again, doing it at his age, not only the. The, the statistical numbers, he was second in MVP voting during the regular season, but then being that uh, consistent creator offensively. And I guess the big difference and why, you know, I had him at four going into last season and, and how, you know, the way it's changed in my mind is that he committed defensively during the regular season last year. That was the huge thing for me and why I was lower on him is because I was like, oh, this guy just doesn't give that great of uh, regular season value. But but he absolutely bought in last year and, uh, you know, was a deserving contender for the MVP. And and that makes a, a huge difference given that I, I already knew he was this terrific playoff force. But when you f- combine that with that regular season production, it, uh, it puts him at the top of my list. That's what kind of confused me about the Anthony Davis Defensive Player of the Year hype. Now, obviously, he is that level of a defender. But if you're trying to, like, parse who gets the credit in L.A., you know, LeBron had the best, had a much better, like, defensive on-off than A.D. And I'm sure there's, like, reasons beyond that that statistics don't catch. But there's probably some people who thought that he was their best defender last year. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he made major strides just in terms of effort, and uh, he's always been an intelligent defender uh, with uh, with his help defense going over, and uh, he's become a pretty consistent charge taker now, which has its value. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think we need to go much longer on LeBron James, I think. Uh, no, but, we never do. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's hear who you have at number two. Yeah, I have the guy I just mentioned, um, Giannis, and... Uh, to me, there's like a solidified, so to speak, top three, and he is part of that. Yeah, so you had Giannis at number two last year, I believe. And, oh, okay. Uh, and, I must uh, have had LeBron one just because I knew that 
I probably wanted to put Giannis one, but yeah, take probably, your take your victory lap now, uh, Scott. <laughs> you, you had LeBron at one, yes. Um, that's that's actually great to hear. I honestly thought I had Giannis at one. That's what my heart was feeling, um, but I think I, I didn't trust myself. Uh, but <laughs> Turns uh, out that was a good thing. But, but yeah, my uh, my number two is going to remain the same, and that is uh, Kawhi Leonard. Okay, yeah, and that's the other guy who I felt is in that kind of like solid top three for me. Yeah, so um, we'll get your take on Giannis here in a sec, but I just wanted to talk about Kawhi, and I think he's getting a, a bad rap for the postseason performance. I thought he was exceptional in the Dallas series. Um you know, when they were up 3-1 in Game 5 he uh, against Denver, he put up a great performance. And, you know, if if the Clippers don't blow that huge lead and they win that in 5, I think Kawhi Leonard is looking at, like, you know, they don't do a playoffs MVP, but he was looking borderline like a playoff MVP at that point. But, of course, you know, you, you uh, he had the, uh, the, the brutal Game 7. I think part of that, too, would be that the, the bubble... The games were every other day. There was never a, a, a game where he had a couple of days off. I think that affected Kawhi more than the average player. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I thought he was he was still pretty phenomenal. And, and despite the fact that in the regular season, you know, he's going to have to have his day-offs on, on back-to-back and maybe even more so this year with a 72-game truncated schedule, I think uh, he brought a level of intensity on both ends of the floor during the regular season that was was pretty impressive. Uh, so so yeah, I still have Kawhi at number two. It, it, it would not shock me if uh, if Kawhi Leonard was the Finals MVP come the end of this upcoming season. And he definitely improved his passing this year. Yes, That's something that needed to happen because he was going from the Raptors, who have a few good passers, to Clippers, who like all of a sudden he might be the best passer on their team. So he really needed to up his game. I still think they need a little bit more around him uh, that can move the ball. I thought the Kennard trade was pretty good. Um, I don't necessarily see him as like a guy who runs the offense per se, but as a secondary guy next to Kawhi. Um, And that sounds kind of weird because Paul George is also on the team, but I, I think the ball should be in Kennard's hands more than Paul George. <laughs> Just because, I mean, we can get to it later when we talk about George, but like, I, I want to see more Paul George off-ball stuff. I want to see him fly around screens. I'm probably spoiling that for when we talk about him. But the Paul George iso ball, uh, you know, I, I, I take it or leave it, you know. I, I don't need that on my team. Um, we'll get into that later. But regarding Kawhi, I don't think he can go much lower than three. You know, I know you have him two. I have him three. Um, does that mean you have Giannis three? I have Giannis four, actually. Oh, okay. Steph, three? No. I uh, I have the biggest jump, uh, and uh, he was a guy that I, I we uh, we mentioned at the outset, but I have Luca at three. Ooh, yeah, I had him four. So, uh, okay, let's call it a top four then. You know, let's call it a solid top four because our top four is the same four guys. Yes, and it was the same last year as well. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we both had Steph in our top four, which he's now out of our top four this year. But uh, not, not too far. Yeah, um, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, uh, Giannis at two then? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I still don't know what to make of the Bucks in the playoffs. I think there's pretty hard evidence that it doesn't work. I would have liked to see a, you know, them get a better shake 
last year. And, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, I wish COVID didn't happen among them. Um, that we, you know, saw what I expected the Bucks to do in the playoffs amidst a normal situation. Now, obviously, I'm going to say that because I predicted them to win the championship, and I'll think of any excuse I can uh, <laughs> to explain why they didn't. But I think, the, you know, the bubble, they never really found their rhythm there. Um, I thought that Giannis was obviously hobbled um, halfway through that series. And, you know, maybe a lot of this is just who the Bucks are. There's a reason they gave up, Eric, you know, five, <laughs> well, three picks and two pick swaps to upgrade from Bledsoe to Drew Holiday. So I think there's an awareness that there's a glass ceiling with that team. Um, how much of that is Giannis's fault? I'm not sure. However, I think it is the reason he's not higher for you, especially, is um, is that he's kind of lacking if you just need a guy to get a bucket in the half court. Is that a fair statement? Yes, and as far as regular season value, if we, if we were just doing these rankings off of that, he would be number one. Um, you know, being MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, like he was well, he was deserving of both of those honors. Um, and yeah, it, it does just come down to the the, uh, the the playoff issues, and yeah, his lack of a jump shot, and you know, part of it I think maybe is unfair to Giannis because. If he was, say, for instance, in the Anthony Davis role with LeBron and he could be the screen setter, you know, and kind of the secondary scorer, I think he would be fantastic. Uh, It's just in the half court against elite defenses come playoff time, without that jumper, uh, it's uh, it's not good enough. And does Drew Holiday make their half court offense in the postseason a little bit better? Yes, because Bledsoe was just, you know, terrified to shoot threes. Um, but, uh, is it good enough to, uh, overcome, I think, some of the faults that Giannis has in his offensive game? I don't know. I'm, I'm still very concerned about that. Yeah, the, I mean, I don't know how close they were to actually getting the Bogdan deal done, but, I mean, that would give them just a little bit more punch and I'd feel a little bit better, but I'm still, uh, I still have a lot of questions, too, about their half-court offense. Um, if we get the Drew Holiday that caused me to rank him ahead of Damian Lillard two years ago, <laughs> I'd feel better. But, you know, he's kind of uh, taken a more secondary role as he approaches 30 in New Orleans. And uh, I think he can obviously stir the drink a little bit. I think you just need him and Middleton to draw enough help to get Giannis open looks like rolling to the rim or what have you. Um, you know, the, 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 whatever the situation is, I don't think the play can start with Giannis, per se. So if Drew Holiday can get him into those sets, I mean, we all saw what happened last playoffs when he stopped the transition attack. It looked like it looked like me like trying to play 2K for the first time, where I just you know try to beat my guy individually, don't get anywhere, and then pass to the next guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I think the the other underrated aspect of them losing out on on. Bogdan Bogdanovich is just the idea that uh, Bogdanovich is 27 and another sort of younger player. That was another, you know, when they lost Brogdon, that was an issue was that they lost an, a young piece of their core. And Holiday is 30. Most of their uh, key pieces are 30 plus. So um, when it comes to Giannis potentially signing that uh, super max, it's, it's debatable whether this team has that bright of a future, despite, as you mentioned, throwing 
five future draft assets uh, to to New Orleans. And I'll defend the trade if Giannis signs, especially if they, they go on to win a championship. But I think we can all agree it's just a atrocious value play. Yeah. Uh, what that means is to be determined. Right. So let's let's talk about Luca because again you you had him at four and I had him at three. Um, you know, obviously his uh, his regular season performance last year was unbelievable. Maybe the best uh, regular season that we've ever seen from a twenty year old. You know, there was a lot of people questioning his uh, his ability to perform in the playoffs. I was not one of them. I thought his versatility offensively with his ability to to attack going both directions, his ability to post up, his ability to create his own looks, and his uh, you know genius playmaking was was going to allow him to to be very productive come postseason, and that he was. He was unbelievable, especially in that uh, classic game four of that first round series between the Mavs and the Clippers. Uh, so so yeah, this guy is absolutely the real deal, and at his age, it's expected that he's going to uh, to take. Another leap, which is really crazy to think about. Yeah, it's honestly at the point where if we just did a... I mean, we, we, we partook in one of these over the quarantine where you just, like, redraft the entire league. I think, you know, from a long-term perspective, I'd pick him first. Agreed. Yeah, and that was Giannis until the bubble. Yeah. Me, at least. Yep. Um, he, uh, yeah, Luca is, you know, and, and the scary thing to me too is like he had that sensational season despite, you know, he was like a 33% three-point shooter for, for most of the year. Uh, so if if he were to potentially even, even just minor improvements in that area, if he shoots 35% from three, uh, it is just absolutely scary, the, the level. He already led what was the greatest regular season offense in NBA history. Um, you know, there's going to be questions. I think Porzingis is out to start the season. Um, you know, there will be questions. They've, they've made some changes there. They traded away Seth Curry, brought in Josh Richardson, I think in large part to improve the defense. Um, so there's going to be some, some questions whether the team can be as good as they were offensively last year. Uh, but uh, I certainly have no reservations about uh, about Doncic's ability. And I think it's a big vote of confidence in Luca from the Mavs organization that they've, you know, conceded some offense to prioritize defense, right? Um, not only the Richardson trade, but uh, picking Josh Green. I think that's a guy who you pencil in as kind of what Dorian Finney-Smith brings them. Um, Shooting, defense, not sure what else. Yeah. But their thinking, it seems like, is we have Luka, and that lets us just prioritize defense almost everywhere else. And once they can become, like, maybe a top 10 defense, potentially, that's when they get really scary because Luka will score on you, and you can't make that back up necessarily like you could this season. Yeah, I'm just hoping, hoping and praying that Kristaps uh, uh, is is able to not only be healthy this year but moving forward because I really do want to see what that duo can accomplish over the next five to ten years. I think they they could they are already a a joy to watch, and I think they could accomplish some some great things together if uh, if the injury fortunes are are positive for the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, let's move on to number five, and, and I'll go first because uh, 
we'll, we'll see if this is a surprise to you or not. But uh, I have Nikola Jokic as my number five. Yeah, uh, I kind of have him eight, but my five to eight is super close. Yeah, so we both had Jokic at seven last year, so... Uh, I'm curious to know, like, is that is him going back a spot? Is that more just you think the top ten has has improved this time around, or is it uh, is it something about Jokic that has made him drop ever so slightly? No, it's it's really just Luca passing him. Yeah. The seven, uh, the other six guys I had ahead of him, I had ahead of him last year. Okay, so I guess I'll I'll kind of talk about why I have him a little bit higher. Uh, and and it's in large part not only you know did he prove a second time that uh, he is a great playoff performer uh, he was great in in basically every series they played maybe not spectacular against the Lakers because of foul trouble at various times but still very solid in that series and excellent in the first two rounds um, you know so so not only having that uh, additional uh, aspect of his resume that he's done it back to back postseasons. But also the fact that I, I think he has shown that uh, he can stand up and at least be okay defensively at the highest of levels. You know, there were times in the postseason, especially early on in that Jazz series, where the Nuggets defense and Jokic in particular was atrocious. But uh, as the playoffs went along, the team improved, and I think Jokic got significantly better. He's my favorite player in the league, just like subjectively. Um, and I don't think it's close for me. <laughs> I love watching him, you know, pass, uh, make those ridiculous hook shots, all that, all that good Jokic stuff. Um, again, it really just says more about the guys in front of him because I completely agree with everything you're saying. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason. Like, you know, it's really close at the top and there's so many amazing players. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think I know who you have at number five, but uh, let's hear it. So that's going to be Anthony Davis. Yep, that's who. who yep, that's who I thought. <laughs> um, I, I had him lower than this uh, earlier on because um, I kind of thought about it more, and it's like, can you be this good if you're not the best player on your team? And I know that's kind of a hack take, so to speak, because. You know, who cares? <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, all these guys are propping up their team's offense in a way that Anthony Davis isn't. The realization for me was that he's just so exceptional in every other way that I'm willing to I'm willing to make the exception for him. You know, everyone around him, everyone a few spots above and below him is the fulcrum of their team's offense. Um, and he is just so good and everything that isn't that whether it's like finishing plays you know the best lob finisher in the league um we saw you know just how incredible he is defensively um being exactly what they needed for the blazer series the nugget series the heat series like it doesn't matter what you throw at him um and i like to think in the nba that Guards, like perimeter players, are usually responsible for creating magic problems, and bigs, more often than not, are responsible for diffusing them, and he is the ultimate matchup diffuser. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, characterization. I um I have him at six, so we're we're very close. Uh, and you know, I think I had him at seven last year, so I'm a little higher, and in, in part mainly just because he proved to me that in the playoffs, even as a as a secondary guy, he can get it done at the highest of levels. But that's kind of how I felt about him before. I kind of felt like, yeah, he's as a, as your number one on your team. He's not good enough, as we saw in New Orleans, even though, yes, they, they didn't do a great job of building around him, but um, he clearly showed that, uh, you know, as a number one guy, he's not uh, just automatically getting you to 50 wins. Um, but, yes, as that uh, as that secondary guy, as that, uh, you know, um, supercharged role player, I guess, he is excellent because, as you said, he doesn't have too many weaknesses and uh, in the postseason, especially with his shot coming around, uh, he really didn't have any weaknesses and uh, allowed them to play in a variety of ways. They could play big against Denver. They could play small against Houston and all of that largely because of Anthony Davis. And uh, he also, uh, in the NBA Finals, was such a, was, was such a vital factor in, in slowing down the Heat's offense in that, especially that crucial Game 4 victory for the Lakers to put them up 3-1. So yeah, I uh, I feel very similarly about Anthony Davis. Obviously, his playoff performance last year, um, you know, will uh, will always be on his resume and something that you can point to. Uh, but uh, the reason I have Jokic a little bit higher is because I felt like Jokic showed me something last postseason that I didn't know is that defensively, I think he can be good enough. Um, while also Jokic has the advantage of you know. As your number one guy, if if you have Jokic, your team is winning fifty games, which you can't say that for for AD. Yeah, on the premium hoops top one hundred, I'm just going to spoil this right now for me, um, for anyone listening, get some secret info. It was just based on like right now, and this shows how much I go back and forth between these five to eight slots. I had Jokic number five on my list. Oh, okay. It's really just how I, you know, how I feel when I wake up one day with how, with how close some of these guys are. Like, it really, if I think about it for too long, I'll just, it's like chasing my own tail. I don't have a tail, but if I did, I imagine that's what it would be like. Yeah. All right, so um, who did you then have at, uh, at your number six spot? Yeah, I had Steph Curry. Okay, I, I have him at seven, so again, yeah, very close. maybe this is a... A little, I mean, it's not wishful thinking. Steph Curry's incredible. It's wishful thinking that, like, he'll be Steph um, amidst what looks like a very unclear roster situation, with especially with the clay injury. Um, we saw that last year he, you know, who knows what he was dealing with, but he wasn't able to necessarily elevate that ragtag group last year. Um, I think they're a little better this year. Um, with the Oubre trade and hopefully Draymond um, getting more time to rest. But I still have my worries. That being said, um, if he is clicking and the Warriors are looking okay, I think he more than deserves his spot. Yeah, my, um, you know, I, I actually had Steph number one last year. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that was wild, honestly, because like, the whole idea going into next year was like, this is going to be Steph Warriors again. You know, we are all kind of looking forward to seeing it. And while I love Kevin Durant as a player, I do miss kind of those super Steph-centric teams in like 2016. Um, and I was hoping for the return of that too. 
Yeah, that is uh, the the Clay Thompson news was just such a bummer because yeah, I wanted I wanted the Warriors to have one more go at it with this uh, core trio and maybe they'll do it next year, but I have uh, I have big doubts now whether Clay Thompson will ever be, you know, on this like top thirty lists anymore where he was pretty much a consistent top twenty presence during his prime. Um, but uh, yeah, Steph. The I guess the the big thing that maybe. I overrated about Steph was that I thought he could just carry any poor nucleus to 50 wins. I thought he had that in him, but even prior to his wrist injury that knocked him out for the rest of the year, um, they were getting absolutely, absolutely annihilated. Uh, I think they had a quarter against the Suns where they lost by 30 in the first week of the season. Um, and you know, the, the, the big thing that I think I, I didn't quite, uh, realize was that yes Steph can carry an average supporting cast but it has to be a specific average supporting cast um it has to be a supporting cast that can shoot the basketball and last year's Warriors team were 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 really atrocious as as a shooting team and and it's funny you know with with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson in the fold is the number one and two shooters maybe in the world their their team wide shooting is probably an A, despite even if the other three guys are average or below average. Um, but you take Clay away and you don't replace him with a good shooter. All of a sudden, the shooting outside of Steph is is really bad on this team, and I think it will be again this year. And so every time Steph, you know, being that threat thirty feet away from the basket, and he gets trapped and sets those four on threes, uh, Draymond is is passing it now to Kelly Oubre and uh, Brad Wanamaker and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, you know, these guys aren't uh, striking fear in the uh, in the opposition defense, and uh, that's the big thing that I think may, is the difference between Steph leading an average supporting cast versus not, is if there's not enough shooting, there's only so much Steph can do to just create open shots. Yeah, he's definitely a guy whose game lends itself to playing alongside other stars and I don't mean that as I don't mean that as a uh, as a knock you know I don't think he's quite the floor raiser that these other guys are like you said and that's kind of what we realize now made the warrior so special as you have Clay, Steph, Draymond, Iguodala like who knows what any of those guys are on a bad team I mean we saw what Steph was on a bad team and Draymond was on a bad team but other than that who knows and uh when you combine them all together, they kind of feed off one another. They allow breathing room for each other's games, and it becomes a really nice um, combination. And then you throw Durant in there, and it's over. So that's the hard thing about evaluating these Warriors guys is they seemed like they were all that type of player, and in a vacuum, what are they? Yeah. Um, now, if the Warriors were to, to make the playoffs in this upcoming season, which I think is a genuine question mark, uh, I was uh, I was doubting it last year, and I'm I'm doubting it again this year. But I still think Steph has great postseason value. Not only his ability on the ball, but his motion and activity off of it um, allows him to to beat even the most locked in of defenses. So. I like him still as a playoff performer over uh, a few of the guys that I have lower on my list. But uh, let's hear who who you have then at uh, at number seven, Scott. Uh, I'll just say one more thing about the playoffs. Yes, yeah. you know they might not be one of the top eight seeds, but if they're the ninth seed 
if I'm like, let's say, I don't know, the, the Suns or the whoever's going to be the eight seed, I would be very not wanting to play Steph in a play-in game. That's a really good point. I, I I had already it had already I already for, forgot that the there's there's plans for this oh, year. I forget all the time too. Um. So so yeah, that's um. I I would find it I I would find it hard to believe that the Warriors are going to be lower than ten. So. Right. So yeah, there's uh, no matter what they're going to get into the playoff play in, and then you know, do you get an A plus Steph and Draymond at that point? <laughs> Does that just is that just enough to to get him into the actual bracket? Right. So yeah, first seven I had James Harden. Okay, so basically I'm just one later than you, so I have Harden at eight. Okay, so Jokic just jumped. So we had AD Curry Harden in the same order. You had Jokic 5, I had Jokic 8, got it. So yeah, tell me uh, your thoughts on James Harden, if that's changed at all, or uh, you know, what, what do you expect from the beard this upcoming season? <laughs> it's it's changed a little bit. Um, I, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say, right? Because we've kind of just watched the same movie for the last two years. Yeah. Where he's amazing in the regular season. He doesn't really... Last two, I would say maybe last six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then in the playoffs, you know, I, I didn't want to include the 2018 playoffs. Gotcha. They almost won the championship, but, you know, the last two playoffs, it's like they get to the second round, and it's just bad news bears. Yeah. I don't know how else to say. Yeah, the um, the thing that was interesting to me watching watching that series between the Lakers and Rockets you know, Harden put up great individual numbers in that series, but after game one, it looked like not only Harden, but the whole team was just defeated. And despite the fact that Harden put up these great efficient uh, stat lines, it didn't lead to the team's offensive performance being very good. Uh, And a lot of that could be attributed to uh, him just like slowly dribbling the ball up the court and then dribbling it between his legs 15 times till there's eight on the shot clock and then the Lakers can double team him and he makes the unselfish play at that point and that doesn't hurt his stats he's just going to be um you know uh it's just going to be a possession where he makes a pass there's there's nothing to it so it doesn't hurt his stat line but he hurt his own team in terms of their ability to score on that possession uh so so he is he is a fascinating sort of story but you know He's got to be in the top 10 just because you know this guy is going to get your team to the playoffs and likely to nearly, uh, you know, the top half of the bracket. He has an easy way to, like, move up five spots here if he just starts moving off the ball. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, he's, you know, a historically good shooter. Uh, He's playing alongside Russ, who's going to need the ball in his hand sometimes. It's just like... Could you just please just like run around a screen? You know they're gonna be frightened to leave you open off a screen. They're gonna double you. It's gonna open things up for your teammates. I I just is it like a schematic thing? Is it just him wanting to take a break when he doesn't have the ball? I don't know, but like I do feel like maybe it's there's a lot of reasons. You know why the Rockets kind of have a hard ceiling in the second round, it seems like. But one of them seems like just Harden, you know, having a little bit of a 
this game not being that dynamic in terms of, you know, he knows what he's doing on ball and then off ball, he's just going to stand somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very frustrating. And then you also have to factor in the off the court stuff where, you know, he didn't get along with Chris Paul, which forced that trade, which uh, we all know now was just a, a, a horrible trade, not only in value, but in terms of the team, the team's ability to contend for championships. Um, and and now it seems like him and Westbrook aren't necessarily getting along. They've both uh, they've both thrown in trade requests. So so yeah, the on the floor, especially during the regular season, uh, pro- production is terrific. But when you factor in off the court stuff, when you factor in his playoff foibles, um, yeah, I think uh, you know having him at the latter half of the the top ten seems seems about right. So. Um, we we've both covered our uh, our top eight. I guess did you have anything else to say about Jokic, who who you had at number eight? Then no, I'll move on to my. I'll just share my number nine. Yeah, go for it. Um, I had Dame Lillard. Okay, so again, uh, I had Dame at ten. So one behind yeah. you once again. Man. We're still waiting for that big disagreement, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had Embiid as my number nine. Oh, I had Embiid ten. Okay, so um, yeah, I guess uh, whichever one of those guys you're you're uh, you want to talk about first, why don't you go ahead? I guess I'll go Dame. Um, almost impulse bought his new shoes after seeing an Instagram ad for them yesterday. Um, but I mean, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory what he did in the bubble, what he did outside of it. He's the reason they can, you know, play Collins and Nurkic, or in last year's case. Whiteside and Collins together because he, you know, makes the def- makes he basically creates his own arc behind the arc that the defenses have to cover. So that's one reason they, why they've been able to load up on defense is just him and CJ, but especially him, are going to do enough on offense. He is the second best point guard in the league. I'm still giving Curry that spot until he proves me otherwise, and he is just like an all-time great teammate. His teams are going to be in the hunt no matter what. I mean, they almost didn't make it last year, but that was not really his fault. Great, great player. Yeah, I um, you know, I had him as low as 12 last year, so I've moved him a couple of spots. And in part, you know, with me writing for Rip City Project, I, I watched a lot more of Damian Lillard during the regular season, and and I think there was there was a part of the, in the back of my brain that just thought, well, if he's this good, why isn't he lifting up? these teams but then you watch what's around him you watch Whiteside, you watch his own last year and you just go oh that's that's what's happening um they uh they've never had enough defense and they've never had enough um, wing talent around him uh but yeah i think he is sensational not only as a leader but uh, night to night his performances and and he's he's somebody that i think has has also continued to improve even in his late 20s and now into his uh, early 30s yeah, he really took the, uh, I mean, I keep mentioning it, poor him. He really took that loss to the Pelicans hard when they trapped him every yeah. every pick and roll, and he's gotten a lot better at seeing over the defense, finding the role man. Nurkic, for his credit, has also gotten much better at passing out of those short roll situations. Um, I, I loved their offseason. I think it was a home run. Um, Covington obviously shores up the defense. Not necessarily the LeBron stopper they need, but no one stops LeBron unless you get, like, I don't know, <laughs> Kawhi. 
and <laughs> I guess that's the one guy. Um, but uh, nobody really will help them with that. But in terms of like regular season impact, Covington is going to be tremendous. Um, I thought the Derek Jones Jr. signing was actually quite good. Yeah, um, I think he's. Weekend. I think he's the guy that you put on the the one on one assignments yeah. and allow Covington to just do what he does best, which is his help defense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then you also have Trent, who maybe not like is not a LeBron guy, but is definitely certainly an irritant and one of my favorite young players in the league. Um, I know yours as well. Yeah. And uh, I think you can not be as affected by uh, Jones's lack of shooting if you play him in the second unit with Zach Collins, and then you keep one of Damon CJ out there to run pick and rolls with him. Well, and even Nurkic's progression as a three-point shooter, he didn't take a lot of them, but he's uh, he's he started to take those. Maybe he'll he'll do a little bit even more of that if he plays together with Jones. Like you know, I could see a Covington, Jones, and Nurkic front line working. I mean, especially defensively, but even being all right offensively. And, and as you mentioned, if if that front line is playing with Lillard, Lillard can create a lot of the offense uh, just by taking thirty-five footers. Yeah, and then like if you're you know you're playing against uh, if you're playing against uh, you know a team not necessarily the Lakers but like 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 you know the Mavericks or I don't know the Warriors or na- name your team with an elite guard um, then I think Trent will be able to handle a lot of those matchups and you can uh, play Covington at the four because he's just such a good weak side rim protector. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you that I thought Portland did did really really well and yeah it's going to be a blast to watch not only Lillard but this team this this upcoming season so uh, let me talk a little bit about Embiid who I had one spot ahead of Lillard Embiid at nine Lillard at ten and and Embiid you know he's he's a guy that we we consistently talk about and say you know is he ever going to be able to you know play a full season is he ever going to be able to stay healthy is he ever going to fully get into shape and and dominate like we we want him to and, uh, you know, I, I, I think the answer to those questions is just going to be no for his career. But at the same time, what, what Embiid is right now and what he was even last year, I think is still a really, really great basketball player. I know the Sixers got swept by the, the Celtics, but I was really impressed with how Embiid played in that series. He had nobody that could throw him an entry pass on that uh, Sixers team. Uh, but uh, they made... Despite getting um, swept, they they made every game pretty competitive, and Embiid was, I thought, the best player on the floor in that series, despite the loss. Uh, so so I'm still pretty high on Embiid. I think he is clearly the the best player on the Sixers, and it's going to be interesting given the moves that uh, that that Maury made on on the draft and in free agency to get more shooting with the likes of Danny Green and Seth Curry. Uh, it's it's going to be really fun to watch that team, that Sixers team as well, and see okay how good is is uh, Joel Embiid, and also how good is is Ben Simmons as a as a secondary star. And it's funny you talk about like um, will Embiid ever like you know be the best version of himself, and we are kind of like I'll believe it when I see it at this point. Yeah. But even so, like he could rise up a few spots, even if he isn't that just be the best defender in the league, um, be an all-time, you know, other than Jokic, the best, like, crunch time scorer of any big, and get to the line at will. Like, there's so many reasons to like Embiid. I think we're just, you know, 
it's just a little bit of Sixers weirdness that keeps him from maybe surpassing some of these guys, honestly. It's hard to – maybe you could say that he could improve as a passer, although I think he's absolutely done that. Um, he could improve as a shooter. It's just – we're still at the point where you can make the argument to move up any of these guys. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to say. You you uh, you took the words out of my mouth. You know, just, just even minor improvements as a, as a passer – um, and dealing with double teams and minor improvements as a three-point shooter or even just a mid-range shooter, I think will take his game to even another level, especially when you factor in uh, what you brought up, the, the, the uh, elite foul-drawing uh, skills that he has. So, yeah, I, uh, I really like Embiid, and obviously you do too, as uh, putting him at number 10. So, so let's hear who you have just outside of the top 10 at, at number 11. So this is where it might get dicey, because I don't exactly know where to rank this guy, but I want to leave him lower than this um and that is kevin durant okay i do have him a bit lower okay yeah and, and honestly i'm tired of you know speculating how much the achilles injury will affect him i'm you know we've been doing it now for a year and a half just because the season has obviously been delayed yeah and i'm ready for him to just play i don't know what else to say <laughs> yeah, I guess my biggest concern is uh, I have no doubt that he's going to be a top 10 offensive player in the league. My biggest concern coming off the Achilles is whether he's still even an average defensive player. Now, I know he, he does still uh, have that length. He didn't lose the length with that injury, but his ability to defend on the perimeter, I think, could be very hampered by this injury. And we'll have to wait and see, but that would be my guess is that, uh, you know, and why I have him a little bit lower than even 11. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say it. I have him at 13. Um, okay, but that's, much, that's not as low as I was expecting the way you were talking, like 20. Oh, no, and no. I was like, well, I can, you know, certainly he could be the 20th best player, but let's have some hope here, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, to me, the, with the de- when you factor in the defense, I have him more as a top, uh, and this, again, being conservative, since we just don't know, I, I'm much more confident saying he's going to be a top 15 guy than I am saying he'll be a top 10. Well, I guess that's also my spiel. It's just that he's closer to top 10 for me than he is for you. But again, I think we're all just kind of approximating with KD. And uh, I'm real, I'm, like, he might be the player I'm looking forward to seeing the most. Just yeah. because it's been a while. And I think Brooklyn, speaking of, you know, we, we mentioned the Blazers had a good offseason. I thought Brooklyn did a, did a pretty good job. Um, they didn't acquire the third star that I think a lot of, of, of Nets fans were, were hoping for, but I think they even built out what was already a deep team and made it even deeper with the addition of uh, Landry Shamit, who I really like, and uh, re-signing Joe Harris. So yeah, I think they're going to be an, another team that's really fun to watch. The guy I have at number 11, and, and this, was, this was one player consistently throughout uh, us doing these, this is the one I feel like I've, I'm most proud of, is, that, uh, is Jimmy Butler. I had him Number 10 last year, I feel pretty good about that. And uh, this year I have him just outside of that at number 11, assuming, you know, just given his age, he might take a small step back. But I still, I've always loved Jimmy Butler. I love his impact on winning basketball games. And he showed in the NBA Finals that uh, that he has, uh, you know, that, that competitive fire, that competitive spirit that is really unmatched. And that's also just like the Luka effect, right, for Butler. Moving him a, 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 a down a spot, um, you could say he dropped out. Right. You know, yeah. But uh, anyway, um, 
regarding Jimmy Butler, um, I had him 12th. So, okay. Yeah, so again, and I had him 11th until I just had a change of heart with KD at the last moment. I'm like, you know, it's just, it's hard to, it's, it's Kevin Durant, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jimmy Butler absolutely blew me away this year. Um, incredible player. Much, you know, more willing to do kind of the workman things that, you know, I didn't see in previous years. You know, obviously it's not the best spacing fit alongside other guys, but he makes he more than makes up for that with smart cutting. Um, he did flash some three-point shooting in the playoffs, and he just kind of facilitates everything even when he doesn't have the ball. So, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine him putting him much lower than this. Yeah, so I'll just move on then to, to my number 12, uh, and that was uh, Paul George. So I have Paul George one slot above Kevin Durant, and that, this, oh one was t- this one was tough, and I know you've always been lower on Paul George than I, ha- that I have. And, um, he, he dropped five spots. I had him, uh, actually, no, I had, I had George at eight last time we did this, so he's dropped, and, and that playoff performance was, was very disappointing. Um, he's a guy that has gone from early in his career with Indiana where uh, it looked like, uh, you know, this guy is a, is a dynamite playoff performer to now with, with his last couple of performances with the Thunder and then with uh, his most recent uh, no-show with the Clippers. Uh, he seems to be someone that maybe shies away from the pressure in the postseason moment. Um, so I certainly, uh, you know, would not be shocked if Kevin Durant absolutely outplays Paul George, but I think there's a chance that, uh, you know, Paul George has a bit of a revenge tour with his regular season this year. And also, I just got to give George the slight edge because I know Paul George is going to be a plus defender, whereas, again, with, with Durant, I'm, I'm not so sure on that. Yeah, I really, I just, I think about Paul George a lot. So it's not like I just dismiss him. I do have him, you know, a few spots lower than you, admittedly. Uh, I'll, I'll just say it right now. He is my 20th guy. Ooh, okay, yeah, quite a yeah, few. So that's an eight-spot difference. That's probably and, and considering, you know, the gap between a top fifteen and a top twenty player, you could say that's pretty significant. Um, I don't see it as that. I see all these guys as on a similar level at this point. But yeah. anyway, um, regarding Paul George, it's just I think he is a great number two guy. If you have like a Harden or a, or a Luca who just absorbs so much creation. Um, I don't know if there's enough passing on that Kawhi, Paul George core to where I, you know, am just fine with that being the offense and putting shooters around that. You know, I, a guy who I was interested in them getting was someone like Ricky Rubio as soon as he was available um, once on OKC. Yeah. Someone like that just to kind of like right the ship a little bit that being said I don't know how much to attribute that to Paul George obviously still an amazing defender like a world class defender Uh, I guess the thing I go back to with him is just the lack of playmaking for others because I feel like we do this dance with Paul George every year where it's like he's a top 10 player no he's a top 20 player no he's a top 15 player and it really is dependent on whether, whether how many of his difficult threes go in um He's like, other players at this level who can pass it a little better, they have ways to stay effective despite their shot not falling because it's like, oh, 
you have to still respect the shot. You still have to send help. And well, and in, in, in my defense, I would say his, his way of being defect, uh, effective when his shot isn't falling is on the defensive end. And I hear that. But at the same time, I just feel like it's hard to buoy yourself to a top 10, 15 level just on the defensive end, especially as a perimeter player. Um, and I know he obviously has some versatility where he can guard some bigs, but I still view him as more of a wing, Yeah, obviously. And it's just kind of my basketball philosophy where it's like, yeah, let's say Kemba Walker, uh, someone who I have lower than him, but let's use him as the example. Let's say he can't hit a shot from like three-point range. The defense is still going to like send help because it's Kemba Walker and you don't want to leave him open. And then he can use that to create a high-efficient look for somebody else. Whereas, it really, if Paul George isn't going to facilitate at a high level, it's really putting a lot of eggs in the basket of, does the shot go in or not? And I think that's why his value fluctuates more so than, you know, someone like Dame Lillard or um, CP3, who kind of just, you know what they're going to do. Whether their shot is hitting or not, their offensive value is going to remain relatively stable, despite whether the, how many of their shots go in, um, because of the looks they're creating for their teammates. And I just don't think Paul George has that angle to his game. Um, now, there will be times, like, I thought he was absolutely a top 10 player his last year in OKC. You know, you will have no debate from me, ranking him 8 that season. Um, yeah. But... I just, you know, we've saw, we've seen we've seen the flip side of that, and that's why I'm kind of nestling him in at 20. You can definitely talk me up to move up a few spots. You know, um, I'm sure if he has a good season, uh, just because my brain's dumb, I'll move him up a couple spots. I am a little soured by his last season, but I guess that's where I'm going to be at with him. Yeah, forward. and you made a great point though that the the Clippers collective, uh, you know, maybe or I guess lack collective lack of passing makes makes George look even worse and the and his lack of playmaking even more noticeable whereas yeah if they had a Rubio if they had um, you know even if they had a center for instance like a Marc Gasol that uh, that was a facilitator uh, and he could work more off the ball I still think George has great value offensively as a spot-up guy and also you know you you brought up coming off of screens I think he did that a lot in OKC with Westbrook um, but, uh, you know, yeah, if, if the team had better passing, that wouldn't look as bad. Whereas because the Clippers just have such a lack of that, um, it, it makes George look worse. But, but yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. There is a lot of concerns about he's, he's, he's not getting to the rim a lot. He's not getting to the free throw line a lot. He's not, uh, he's not a good, good passer. He's not, uh, you know, um, and, and yeah, he's relying on a lot of those step back crossover threes, uh, and and we saw in Game Seven against the uh, the Nuggets that when those shots don't go down, uh, his his value drops significantly. So so yeah, I, I I'm not uh, I'm not uh, you know in too much disagreement with you. I just I just think even uh, with the defense and just the off ball shooting, I think he's still a, a a pretty prolific player. Even though the you know on ball stuff isn't as as maybe good as as you would want. And honestly, like I said, in this like I, I let's I had him as high as like seventeen um, when I started this list, but 
it's just there's such a tissue thin, di- thin difference between some of these guys that you're looking for any reason to like move one up or move one down just to help yourself out. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We're both through uh, 13, correct? Or did you say you're 13 yet? Yeah, no, I'll do my 13 right now. Uh, and that's Jason Tatum. Okay, and I had Tatum 15. Okay, yeah. And I, you can a lot of the things I said about Paul George, about him needing his shot to fall to like be at his best, um, and that there not being much of a plan B, you can say that about Tatum. Um, I'm putting him a little higher, because, and maybe this is my Celtics fanhood talking, I'm expecting some passing improvements this year. When we saw that in the postseason, I thought he yeah, improved and, as a passer. And that's why I'm saying that mostly, especially against the Raptors series. I do think the Heat zone really uh, stymied him for a few games. Um, he's not the level where he's not at the level where he'll just pick apart whatever you throw at him. He's not like Luca, where he only needs to see it once. Um, once he familiarized himself with the defensive scheme, he was much better at making the correct reads. Um, that being said, it really seems like something he is focusing on. Uh, he has that level of awareness on defense if you really watch him play, right? Because he just always seems to be in the right place this year. It kind of came out of nowhere, honestly. Tatum as a borderline all-NBA-level all defender for me. Um, you saw flashes the year before, but he really put it together. So if a guy has that level of awareness and that level of scoring gravity, I'm just betting on him to marginally improve as a passer. Do I think he's going to be like a guy who initiates the offense all the time? I, I don't. Um, I don't think he has necessarily the first step, um, necessarily the shake, the handle, to routinely do that. But he's going to look really good next to, you know, Kemba and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. Like, that's just a very nice ecosystem for him. And I think he'll uh, really have another, maybe not the same leap he had last year, but another mini leap, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, if, if you were to tell me that Tatum will be better than Paul George next season, that, that would not shock me at all. Um, the the biggest issue I have with Tatum, and you mentioned it at times, the, the zone flustering him in the postseason. He had entire halves. I think he had a couple of games where he went an entire half scoreless. Uh, and, and even during the regular season, I think prior to the All-Star break, I was one of the people that was saying I didn't even necessarily think he was an All-Star. I thought he played at a sub-All-Star level prior to, uh, you know, January or February, but then he really played well the set, the latter half of the season. So if he can play at that level, uh, what we saw the last few months prior to the shutdown for an entire year, and, you know, get rid of some of that inconsistency that you see from young players, certainly I could see him shooting up and, and getting near the top 10. I think he's got that kind of talent. And I was honestly skeptical of projecting him to stay at the level that he did uh, after the All-Star break, just because you never want to predict a guy will continue to shoot 40% from three off the dribble. Um, that's just kind of bonkers numbers. But we saw it continue a little bit, maybe not to the same extent, in a lot of the bubble. I thought he was, I thought he was, a, you know, played at a superstar level um, against the Raptors, right? We didn't have Hayward, and we're like, the only chance we have in this series is if Tatum just outplays Siakam. <laughs> and Siakam was part of the reason for that. Uh, but Tatum played at like a borderline superstar level. And considering Hayward won't be on the team this upcoming year, I think he'll just take it upon himself to 
stay at that level. Yeah, and if any of you listening didn't know, Scott is a Celtics fan. That's why we heard a couple of wheeze in there. And that, oh, uh... right. I just do that subconsciously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm in uh, firm in agreement with you. Again, we're, we're pretty close. You had him at uh, 13. I had him at 15. So uh, let's move to my 14. And, and I believe this is a guy that I've been consistently higher on than you, but I've got Rudy Gobert. I've got him 15. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty similar. I think that's higher than you've had him previously. Am I correct in that? Yeah, can I tell you what? Sure. Yeah, I, was, I think this season has been his most impressive achievement. Um, not only shutting down the league and saving it from itself, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but also, um, gosh, like, they were a top 10 defense this year. Yep, just snuck in, I think, at number 10. And don't forget about, uh, you know, Jordan Clarkson off the bench. <laughs> yeah, Yang, who, uh, again, can kind of hold his own sometimes, but you're not, he's not in the league for defense. And uh, Royce O'Neal. Yeah, he's a good defender, but it's, it's <laughs> a lot of it was just Gobert being a top 10 defense unto himself. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that was, that was something that I think, uh, you know, the Jazz recognized is they have an ability to be a top 10 team on both ends of the floor and and so why not instead of having the favors go bear tandem at the four and the five why not go with a wing at the four in Bogdanovich uh I am you know I'm very high on the Jazz for this upcoming season I think oh, that I, I think this team can be uh you know play at like a 55 win pace of course you know uh the uh the season's only 72 so whatever the normal 55 win pace would be for that um, and, and I think they can be a legitimate threat in the Western Conference playoffs. I, I think what you saw from from Conley in terms of he, he started to figure out how to play with Gobert after playing so long with, with Gasol as his pick-and-roll partner. We saw a leap from Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I, I do think Gobert still has, uh, you know, he's still smack dab in his prime in his late 20s. Uh, having Bogdanovich, Clarkson, and then shoring up that uh, backup center spot with favors I think this Jazz team is going to be excellent, and, and yeah, I expect another amazing season from Gobert. And you know, it it it's another thing you know that I think is a little bit underrated about Gobert is his offensive production. I've always been pretty high on it. Yet, like yes, he doesn't have a, a post game uh, to take advantage of switches, but he's uh, he's an excellent uh, lob threat, good role man, and he's really improved at uh, that short roll passing, hitting guys in the corners. We'll see a little bit more of his like high post passing with Favors back in the fold. It won't be like their main mode of offense, but invariably they will play Gobert and Favors together sometimes because you know while that doesn't lead to the offensive freewheeling jazz we saw last year, it, 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 it is proven to work. Right, especially in the regular season, and then depending on. Uh, depending on the matchup and the postseason, they could go to it. But yeah, I, I think their best lineups are going to be with Bogdanovich at the four. But yeah, it'll be um, they're they're going to be a really fun team to watch. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing 
Gobert propel that defense once again. So, uh, let's see. Um, so I'll, go, I'll do my 14. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. I'm kind of excited for this one. Okay. It's, it's Devin Booker. Oh, wow. So I have him at 16, and I thought that was going to be a surprise at how high I had him. I, I think we both just really like Devin Booker, Garrett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, I mean, uh, some people might be shocked at what you're saying. I'm certainly not, but why don't you uh, explain your, your reasoning behind having Booker as a, as a top 14 player in this upcoming season? So I don't want to overreact to the bubble too much, but we did see a lot of this even before the bubble. I thought he was, I was like, I remember he didn't make the all-star team and I went to go play pickup basketball that night and I was like shooting around like frustrated for Devin Booker. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) But obviously he turned it up and just with the acquisition of CP3, um, just a guy who's going to only make him look better. We saw how versatile his off-ball game is when you get a legit creator next to him at Rubio, and I think CP3 just amplifies that. And um, he seems to have the creation package now. You know, he can make all the pick-and-roll reads now. Yep. Uh, he, one of the like sneakily strongest players in the league at his position, um, just the way he's able to dislodge guys at the rim. Now it's not like an his rookie year or sophomore year where it's like, uh, well, I guess you're taking the floater and hoping that goes in. You know, he's getting to the line. He's getting guys on their heels at the rim. So I just look at him and I'm like, what else? I mean, maybe you could see some defensive improvement, but I don't think it's going to really kill the Suns if he's not a good defender. And this team is, this team is made in his image he is going to, I think, take them to the playoffs with CP3 and Ian and Bridges, and I'm very excited to watch them this year. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have much else to add other than, yeah, I, I'm in agreement that uh, the uh, I, I think the Suns will probably be like the 7th or 8th seed in the West, and I think just the, um, you know, we saw the step last year where he, he developed even more as a passer and as an all-around offensive guy, and they became a, a decent team, despite, I mean, I think last year the Suns were, you know, Booker had a pretty mediocre supporting cast even still, despite Rubio and despite Ayton's improvement. But this year with the acquisition of Jay Crowder, with the development of Ayton and Bridges and Cam Johnson, uh, and obviously the acquisition of Chris Paul, uh, a guy that uh, will be coming up shortly on uh, on my list as well. Uh, the Yeah, I think just the fact that the team is going to be successful is going to put Booker more in the spotlight and, and something that, uh, you know, and, and put him in the uh, category of player that I think he's maybe deserved to be in the last couple of years and he just hasn't had the talent around him to showcase it. And meanwhile... Not only is he getting a better situation, but he has a track record of getting better every single year. Um, who knows how big of a jump the bubble from the regular season will be. It hasn't been much time, um, but I fully expect him to pick up where he left off. Yeah, so uh, you had Booker at 14. Again, I had Gobert at 14, Tatum at 15, and Booker at 16. So, um, And you, yeah, you had uh, Gobert at 15. So who's your number 16 then? Bam Adebayo. Okay, I had him at 18, so again, pretty close. Okay, perfect. 
I was not like I was a BAM guy, but I wasn't like a BAM BAM guy like you see some people, you know, really singing his praises. I am that now. <laughs> yeah. The way I see it is, the more people watch BAM Adebayo, the more they like him. Um, you know, if you haven't seen him much, you're like, okay, you know, he's an athletic center. He can pass a little bit. He can't really shoot that well. He can kind of defend. Like, what's the big idea? You know, centers. Who 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 cares about centers? But. Um, just the unique way he's able to give teams problems was so interesting to me. Um, the Celtics was a perfect matchup for him um, because they derived their creation through isolating against the big a lot. And it was in the first game. It was like the overtime game where I'm like, stop isolating against Bam, just please. And <laughs> yeah. the Pacers learned that the hard way too. Uh, that's at least what Mark Schindler, who my, my colleague who runs Premium Hoops, uh, was talking about. And uh, not only on defense is he amazing. I mean, elite roll gravity, amazing high post passer. I don't know that combination of skills. I mean, I've talked about this before on other podcasts, but like, go back in history and find me the last guy who had elite roll gravity and was like a really good passer. Like, right. Kevin Garnett, Chris <laughs> Weber. Like, it, it takes a while. Yeah, um, and that's just how they won against the Celtics, right? Because I wrote a whole article about this. They couldn't defend the dribble handoff because if they just didn't switch it, Bam would uh, just uh, basically, if they didn't switch it or help weak side rather, Bam would roll to the rim, easy dunk. If they helped weak side, Bam would see that weak side help and find the open shooter. Um, and if they switched too early he would fake the handoff and just drive to the rim. Like, a lot of what gave the Celtics problems stemmed from the different ways they had to guard Bam Adebayo. Um, if you remember, the Tyler Hero game came right after they mostly just focused, okay, we're gonna, no matter what happens, we're going to stop Bam. And then all of a sudden, they spring a league somewhere else, Hero just gets a bunch of off-the-dribble threes. So that alone vaulted him up to the top 20 for me. You know, you can move him up and down a few spots like you have, but he is firmly there for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I agree with everything you said as far as his strengths. I, I want to talk a little bit just about uh, his weaknesses and why he's maybe a little bit lower for me. Again, I have him just two spots lower at, at 18, but, uh, um, you know, he's not quite the elite rim protector at this stage yet maybe he'll develop that um but uh you know he's uh he's he's okay there uh but you you know if if you're comparing him to like a gobert i think that's the big difference is gobert is as as you said earlier he automatically makes your team a top 10 defense bam uh despite the fact that he's he's very good at a lot of things especially switching i don't think he alone makes your defense elite um and, uh, yeah, as far as the offensive versatility, yes, the, um, you know, the, the ability to pass from the high post is nice. The ability to, to be a lob threat is, is great. And, and in the postseason, he became a, a pretty decent free throw shooter as well, so that helped. But the jump shot is still a bit of a question mark. That's something he's still going to have to improve. Uh, if, if he were to develop a consistent 15-foot jumper, I mean, yeah, I could see this guy in a couple of years. If the rim protection instincts improve, and uh, that jumper improves, this guy could be, you know, close to the top 10. Exactly. 
Right. You know, there's definitely a reason I had him a spot lower than Rudy Gobert or than like Embiid or Jokic. But um, it might be one of those situations where if he improves that three-point shot, I don't think he'll ever be an elite rim protector, but if he improves that three-point shot, you might be looking at yourself like, wait, why do I have him below Embiid? Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be... And maybe you still have him below Embiid, but you have to ask yourself that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his his potential is is through the roof, and uh, you know, again, I think people have to realize that was just his third season last year. Still a very young young player. Uh, so moving on to my number seventeen, I have Chris Paul here. So I have Booker at sixteen and Chris Paul at seventeen. So I have two Phoenix Suns in the top seventeen in the league. Yeah, it's it's a great time to be a Suns fan. Um, I have CP three eighteen. So go ahead. Okay, I mean, yeah, I thought. Uh, you know, I had him, again, the first time we did this two years ago, we both had CP3 at 6. Um, and then last year, I think I put him at 22, you had him at 24. Um, you know, okay. given that he had the dis- disappointing season with, with Houston his last year there. Uh, but uh, he came back with a fury. I thought he was a, a top 15 player last season. I did too. Um, he was a guy that, uh, you know, I think uh, part of it was that he... Um, I think he changed his diet to a plant-based diet, and I think that gave him some some new life. It also may have led to uh, his uh, improved uh, durability in, in playing throughout the whole season. Um, so so I, th- I think Chris Paul still has at least one good to great year left in him, uh, and, and Suns fans are certainly hoping that's the case because they, they gave up some stuff to, to get him. But I, I certainly think he's got that capability and... Uh, you know, he with his two-way play, his ability to play off the ball, his ability to play on the ball, to attack switches, to attack the conventional pick-and-roll defense, and then on the defensive side, he can switch, guard multiple positions. He's got good help instincts, quick hands, uh, stuff that he's had his whole career, but uh, he just continues to be the point guard. And, yeah, uh, part of this is also not only that he's a year older, but I'm also, I you know, in my current rankings for premium hoops, I had him top 15, but I'm moving him down because I think he'll willingly take a slight backseat role to Booker. Um, As he probably should, honestly. <laughs> right, right, where it's like, uh, I think, I mean, I don't know Chris Paul, but my hunch is that he saw how good the Suns looked in the second half of last season and then in the bubble and was like, I can make this team really good. I know what they need, and I'd like to do it. And so I think he'll kind of be the guiding hand of what they're already doing a lot of. Yeah, and I think one of Paul's strengths throughout the years is that he's, you know, yes, he is ball-dominant in a traditional sense, but I think he's one of the guys that, you know, for a couple of possessions, you know, we saw it with with the Thunder last year where he'll just say, you know what, these couple possessions I'm going to let, um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander handle things. I'm going to let Dennis Schroeder handle things. He He's not a guy like Harden that feels like every single possession, I have to be the guy that brings the ball up the floor and initiates offense. I think that's something that is underrated, but a a, a um, you know a, a positive aspect of Paul's game and, and something that I think endears him to his teammates to a certain effect. Yeah, he seems like he'd be really fun to play basketball with. Maybe not if you, do, if you mess up. <laughs> if everything's going well, uh, certainly a blast. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, yeah, you said you had Paul at eighteen. So, who did you have then at uh, at seventeen? 
So this one also might be a little... Uh, this one might be our biggest disagreement. Okay, I'm excited. Uh, Brad Beal. Okay, um... I mean, yeah, I have I have Beal further down. I mean, I'll just say it. I have him at 23. Okay, that's not as much as I expected. Yeah, um, I mean, Beal obviously put up incredible counting stats last year, but uh, for me, the the defensive effort, and in part that could just be the team he's on, realizing they, they have no chance to be good defensively, even with optimal effort, but uh, right. that was a concern. But yeah, why do, you, uh, why do you have him this high? Yeah, I just feel like he's put enough passable defense on tape that I'm leaning toward it being the latter, that it was just a terrible defensive situation. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't completely absolve him, but I'm willing to like look the other way when just grading his talent on paper. Um, <laughs> but just really evolved into one of the more dynamic scorers when you talk about killing teams on and off ball. I'm a sucker for the archetype of guys who can, you know, obviously run the offense, but when you don't need them to, like you were just saying with Chris Paul, uh, you know, help facilitate everything with, you know, when they catch the ball, they quickly move it or they attack a closeout um, or they can just move off ball. And I just think Beal is the perfect cocktail of that on ball versus uh, and off ball value. And I just think when you have guys like that, the ceiling on your offensive team on your offense is going to be so high just because it gives room for Davis Bertans to do his thing. You know, it'll give, uh, if John Wall's situation works out, it'll give him room to bring up the ball. Um, now, this is just me being a draft nerd, but it's a great situation for Cassius Winston to play alongside Beal, you know, give Cassius some on-ball opportunity, but also let him do his kind of movement shooting. And uh, who, who even knows how long Cassius Winston will stick with them? I just really like him as a player. Uh, I know you're in the Midwest, and you've probably seen a few Michigan State games. We don't have to spend too much time talking about him, though. Another guy who likes to ball. This is just my guy. This is just my type of player. Um, 30 points per game on, you know, not great efficiency for three, but the threes, he had to attempt difficult threes uh, to work the defense and create opportunities for his teammates, and he, he more than succeeded in doing that. They finished 15th in offense. There was a time when they were like a bona fide top 10 offense, and he's obviously the biggest reason for that. Yeah, I mean... As far as like uh, players improving their games, I don't think there's too many better examples than what Bradley Beal has done for the last six or seven years. I mean, if you remember when he first came into the league, or even even in those uh, you know prime Wizards days where Wall and him were making the second round of the playoffs, he was mostly just like a a great shooter, um, and like a secondary ball handler, but definitely not this. Right. And, and he has really improved, yeah, his ball handling, his passing, his off-the-dribble shooting, uh, his, um, you know, yeah, just his overall vision and feel for the game uh, and, and has continued to improve uh, into, what is he, like 26 now, I think? But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I don't really have an issue with this, especially considering that, yeah, he could... He could could uh, theoretically improve a little bit more heading into next season, uh, so so yeah, I, I don't have a big issue with it. Yeah, my my big discrepancy is like I and and this could just be my bias of hating guys that don't give any effort defensively. But yeah, that's 
that's my big issue is watching watching the Wizards was was a real struggle for me. I know I know the uh, the average fan loves watching a 129 to 127 game, but I can't stand that when it's basically just a, a layup line on both ends of the floor. Um, so so that that's my big complaint why I have him at 23. But but yeah, he is an extremely talented and effective offensive player. I guess my you know, and this is giving maybe Beal too much benefit of the doubt, but, like, one thing I thought about was, like, yeah, his defense was bad, but let's say he, like, swapped places with Devin Booker and he had a reason to care on defense and Chris Paul was in his ear. Um, I think he could put forth a decent effort on defense. Yeah, that's that's probably accurate. So, uh, let's see, at, at 18, you had Chris Paul and uh, I had Bam Adebayo. So, uh, moving on to 19, this is where I had Kyle Lowry. Oh, okay. I moved him a little bit further down the list at 25. Um, I actually had him at 14 in present-day rankings on Premium Hoops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you texted me that, and uh, I was like, oh, wow, I'm, uh, I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna be as high on Lowry as, as Scott. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, I see this as kind of you know, Fred Van Vliet's contract is signed. Um, Siakam is there for the next, what is it, four years and uh, at 130. And just like, I, you know, I don't know what to expect from the Raptors this year. I think they'll be pretty good. I, not, don't, I don't think they'll be good, as good as last year um, just because I think they lost a little bit with Gasol aging and going to the Lakers and Ibaka going to the Clippers. Um, I do like Aaron Baines, and I, I think Alex Lent is a really good backup center. But, you know, you had two starting caliber guys leave your team. Yeah. Even though Ibaka didn't start. Maybe we could see internal development, but I just uh, I just feel like this might be a year where uh, Lowry takes a little bit of a backseat um, just to let Van Vliet and Siakam do more. Maybe, you know, I'll probably be wrong. It'll probably just be like, I'll probably fall back in love with this game like I do every year, and he'll be the best player on the team. Um, but <laughs> I always think it's going to be, you know, the year where he shifts roles. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as Lowry's productivity is concerned, yeah, it's it's debatable. Yeah, he's getting up there in age, and, you know, I think he, uh, you know, was – was uh, developed. He had developed such nice chemistry with both Gasol and Ibaka in the pick and roll. So it's going to be interesting to see how he meshes with the likes of of Len and uh, and of course Aaron Baines, who will probably start, I assume. Um, but uh, you know, they're they're probably going to have to rely on their guards even more than they did last year. Even though, yeah, those uh, both Van Fleet and Lowry were, I think top five in the NBA in minutes played, so they relied on them quite a bit. But even in terms of, like, half-court offense, I guess, you know, they do still have Siakam, but the way he played in the postseason last year uh, makes you question whether he is the guy that uh, the Raptors should try to prioritize as the number one option. Um, So, yeah, it's it's one of those things, I think, similar to Chris Paul, I I just... uh, you know, I just believe Kyle Lowry's got one great season left in him, and and I've all I, I've got to say this because you know, people don't uh, typically rate defense as, as highly as offense, but Kyle Lowry has got to be one of the the top I'd say two or three guards in the entire NBA 
when it comes to help defense and blowing things up off the ball and, and being in the appropriate position to take charges, to get steals. Uh, he absolutely is one of the key reasons this Raptors defense has been so good for such a long time. And that's why I'm keeping him in my top 25, um, despite potentially lower usage. And the more I think about it, while the plan going into the season might be, like, give Lowry some rest, let the younger guys take control for most of the regular season, um, it's going to be a very Lowry playoffs again. And might even get to the point where they struggle a little bit, and then Lowry is just so competitive that he can't help himself from taking over in the regular season. Yeah, um, so there's there's still a couple of guys that were actually in both of our top 15s last year um, that have, have yet to be named. Uh, so I'm curious to hear who you have at number 19. Ben Simmons. Oh, wow. Okay, so neither of the guys that I was referencing was is, uh, <laughs> is mentioned here. But, uh, yeah, so Ben Simmons, I think you've always, uh, throughout these, have been a little higher on Simmons than me. I have Simmons in my top 30, but just barely. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it really is all over the place with him next year, right? You know, it's a completely different team. Uh, and uh, I really think that all of a sudden he is, you know, the only non-shooter other than maybe Embiid. But, you know, when they play together, Embiid will be asked to space to three a good amount of the time. Um, I just think they've really set him up to succeed the upcoming year. I think he... You know, obviously, he's an all-NBA-level defender. You saw how much they missed that in the playoffs. Um, and if they can really get out in transition, they, you know, got a bunch of shooting. When the, You know, the more shooting you have around Simmons, the better, not only because it'll give him more space, but because, you know, he's really good at finding guys off screens and really figuring out when they're going to be open and passing them open. So I just expect Simmons to have a really good year. Yeah, um, they certainly yeah have, have have built a roster that makes more sense now. I just uh, you know same as why you know I was a little lower on Giannis than you. I think when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to half court basketball against teams that have elite defensive personnel, I still just struggle to know what Ben Simmons is doing for you. If, if he's standing in the dunker spot, that takes effectiveness away from from Joel Embiid. If he's running pick and rolls, teams can just go under and uh, force him to, I was going to say force him to be a jump shooter, but he wouldn't take it. So um, force him to, I guess, just continue to dribble and then throw an aimless pass to the wing. Um, so, so yeah, those, those half-court concerns, I think, are, are still very much a problem. And despite the fact that, yes, he's a good transition player, he's an all-NBA-level defender, I think those two things alone don't make you good enough to be in my top 20, personally. I'm hoping this is the year. I've said this for a while now, but, you know, a new coach is in town. Uh, I'm hoping this is the year they start using Ben Simmons more as a role man. Um, And maybe that involves staggering with Embiid, which isn't ideal in your best lineup. But I just think about, you know, Doc Rivers and how he used Blake and DeAndre together. They have Seth Curry, who can space out pretty far, uh, hit Simmons in the short roll, and then he can either, like, you know, drive or if he draws help, pass to Embiid in the dunker spot. Maybe that doesn't work quite as well in 2020 as it did in 2015. And obviously Embiid isn't quite the vertical threat 
that DeAndre Jordan was, although he can certainly put down some logs. Um, that's just one configuration I could see helping Simmons. And then, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, when the backup five comes in, Dwight or Tony Bradley, that also hurts spacing. But maybe he can do the same thing there with Dwight. And maybe we even see some Simmons at the five. I think that whole idea is a little overrated just because, um, you know, I don't really trust it as a sustainable mode of defense unless you're playing the Rockets or something. But I just think that Doc will really uh, scrape the bottom of the barrel on how to get the most effectiveness out of Simmons in a way we haven't seen thus far in his career. Yeah, that's that's the challenge, though, is you, you brought it up. With, with Embiid out there and with uh, Dwight Howard being the backup center, uh, even if, you know, yeah, you put those guys in the dunker spot and have Simmons be the screener, when he's rolling to the rim, the lane is going to be crowded. And I don't think Simmons is an elite finisher either. So, you know, especially if he's not able to get all the way to the rim and just dunk, um, you know, his uh, his left hand, not only is it probably not the hand that he should be shooting with, but it's not very good. He's not very good with that hand uh, finishing layups and, and with touch around the rim either. So, uh, yeah, I I like the theory of it because obviously he's a great passer, and if he gets a if the lane is wide open, that's the thing. If if they had a stretch five and the lane was wide open for him to be the screen and roll man, I think it would be brilliant. But because they don't really have that, uh, I question if if that would be that effective. And that's where you know Embiid becoming like a thirty three thirty four percent shooter. Um, you know, being content with standing on the opposite slot for a few possessions would really come into play. Um, and, you know, it's never been Embiid's game to do that, right? We know we've had this conversation for the last six years. Right. Um, so let's move to my number 20, and uh, I'm going to finally bring up the, the couple of guys I was referencing earlier that were both in our top 15 in previous years. And so I'm finally going to bring up Kyrie Irving. Okay, I had him 21. Okay, um, so Kyrie, it's just a situation where, like, you know, I've I've seen it, I guess, and, and part of it is the shine of him winning a championship as the as the second best player with LeBron just continues to to fade a little bit uh, as as time goes on. But he's continued to have durability issues. He's continued to put up monster offensive numbers when he's been on the floor, but. You, you have to question whether it actually impacts winning. Brooklyn actually, I think, had a better, uh, um, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think they were on par or even had a better winning percentage without him than they did with him. And, you know, even look at Boston after he leaves with, with Kemba replacing him, there was the thought that Kemba was this significantly significantly lesser player than, than Irving, but the Celtics did just as good from a, a, a win percentage standpoint. So... You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, if he's in the perfect situation where he's got where his uh, uh, his teammate is the best player in the NBA and the specific skill that his team requires is just isolation creation and scoring, sure, he's a great fit. But I do question, especially as a number one guy or even a number two guy in certain environments, whether he is a winning basketball player. I see it as he's still a top 15 talent. He just gets, you know, like you said, he gets a weirdness penalty, which, you know, he's allowed to act however he wants, but if I'm ranking basketball players, that has bled into the on-court performance, and 
that's where I'm at. Yeah, um, I guess there's not much more to be said about Kyrie than. Uh, so uh, you said you had him at 21. Um, who'd you have at 20? I had Paul George at 20. I had Paul oh, George ahead of him. Right. Um, so then my 21 is Carl uh, Anthony Towns. And he was my 22. Okay, so uh, those were the two guys I was referencing earlier. I think right. we, we both had them, them uh, securely in the, inside the top 15 the last couple of years. But, uh, uh, and, and it's a similar argument with Towns. Like, yeah, he put up phenomenal numbers. But uh, Minnesota continued to struggle in terms of uh, wins and losses, and uh, his defense continues to be disappointing. Um, can he take another leap offensively? It's it's getting questionable at this point because his offense is absolutely tremendous. I would say, you know, he is a he is probably close to a top ten offensive player, if not even better than that. Um, but uh, yeah, do you, do you feel like there's still room to grow for for Cat at this point? Absolutely. Like, I think, I don't want to put a cap on his offensive game um, just because every year he's shown me something new where I'm just like, what, how is that a thing? Like, <laughs> this year it was his propensity for, like, just taking James Harden, like, step-back threes. Off well, the and he, aver- he attempted, like, wasn't it 11 or more than 11 threes a game and hit 40%? I mean, just preposterous numbers. Right, right. And... Obviously, the defense is a concern, and you can say, well, Scott, you put Devin Booker and Bradley Beal in the top 20s, but it's just a bigger part of the job description when you're the center. Right, and, you know, the for Devin Booker, because he's a guard, it's, it's unfair to the big man, but guards just can control and dictate the game more than centers can because centers are right. a little more reliant on their teammates getting them the basketball and also just the offense being slow enough that you can run down the floor and get to your spot. That's a good point, too. It's just harder for him to have a stable value on offense. Now, I think that he'll look very good with the amount of creation around him now. Um, I thought Beasley looked really good in his stint. I also wrote an article about him and why I think that will Stay the, stay the case, um, despite some people thinking it's just like a flash in the pan. Uh, you know, say what you will about D'Lo. He'll at least prop up the offense. Um, I don't know how much they'll play Anthony Edwards. I think he's probably, probably do more harm than good at the beginning, and that's totally okay. You know, he's a 19-year-old raw prospect. But I obviously they'll be really concerning defense, but this could be... Uh, you know, top half of the league offense if everybody's healthy. Well, yeah, they better be a top half of the league offense. <laughs> if they're not that, they're going to be really bad. Yeah, um, and I don't think they'll make the playoffs, and that's part of the reason why. Yeah. Um, so we're both through 21. So, Scott, let's hear who you've got at uh, the number 22 spot. Jamal Murray. Okay, so I'm pretty close. I have Murray at 25. I wanted to put him higher, just my heart was telling me to put him, like, at 15, but my, my head said, you know, cool cool it a little bit. And this might be one where we look back and we're like, why, you know, why didn't you just go for it? Why didn't you just go with your heart? Yeah. I, I, I think that 22 is certainly still um, optimistic for him, considering the players he's surrounded by, um, and so is 25. Just having him on the top 30 alone is a vote of confidence, considering I didn't consider him at all last year. 
Right. Um, but like even even prior to his unbelievable performance in the bubble, I thought in the regular season his improvement in the mid-range and also as a passer and as a finisher was significant. Uh, and then when you combined those, uh, those improvements with shooting 48% from three in the bubble, it just made him an unstoppable scorer. Um, so, so yeah, it's, to me, it's a question of, you know, and and it always has been as far as his upside as to what kind of a three point shooter is this guy going to be and at what kind of volume is he taking off the dribble jumpers? Uh, if he's, if he's taking eight to 10 threes a game and hitting 37, 38%, I think it's safe to say he will be at least one of the top 25 guys in the league. And if it's closer to say 40%, you know, yeah, I think uh, maybe even 15 is, is not impossible. And one thing I always think about with him is, like, he's, the threshold for him to be a starting creator is a little lower than it is for some other young players, just because playing with Nikola Jokic is just a dream scenario for a point guard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you know, he's still showing that he could probably buoy an offense even when Jokic sits, which is going to be huge for them. You know, you don't want to have to continually play Jokic. What what was it, that quadruple overtime game where he played 60 minutes? <laughs> yeah. um, I think they're at the point where maybe he can sit a few more minutes because of what Murray can do. And while he's not the best, like, heliocentric creator, he's exactly what they've needed, um, just in his outlier ability to make shots alongside other good players. You know another reason why Jokic uh, shouldn't play 60 minutes anymore is because Mason Plumley is no longer the backup center. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is? I-, I think it should be Millsap. Yeah, you're right. And then you just, I was about to say play Grant at the four, but for some reason he's not there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he has every right to make what decision he wants, but I was that was one of the more confusing components of choosing Detroit over the Nuggets, but hey, if he, maybe he has something to his game we haven't seen. I, I'm i a little skeptical. Me too. I'm just a dude, you know. He shouldn't <laughs> worry about me and making his and doing what he wants to do. Yeah, so uh, you have Murray at 22. I have him at 25. My number 22 is Chris Middleton. Okay, I had him 27. Okay, so, you know, yeah, I, I mentioned at the outset that we've kind of uh, yo-yoed on Middleton over the last <laughs> couple of years, but uh, this is... This is probably a decent middle ground, I would say. Um, Chris Middle Ground. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, he's, uh, you know, he's a solid two-way player. He's a guy that, uh, yeah, maybe um, what was another disappointing thing about the Bogdanovich, uh, you know, um, not the that kind of uh, falling apart was that I thought, you know, Middleton is a little overcast as a number two creator, but if he's like the co-number two creator with with Holiday and Bogdanovich. I think that would have been perfect. Um, you know, those guys could kind of just take turns sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, he's a little overburdened as the number two uh, offensive guy on the team, but, I, I, you know, he had a phenomenal offensive season. The Bucks' success as a team cannot be overstated, and, yes, Giannis was, was instrumental in that, but, uh, you know, you don't win 60 games without a decent amount of help. Um and, and, yeah, I've always thought Middleton's defense is a little bit underrated as well. He was really effective in that series against Toronto, defending Kawhi at times. Uh, you know, he, he at the very least puts in pretty good effort, and he has decent size. 
it's kind of the same thing with Paul George in terms of offense, where it's like he's not necessarily setting guys up consistently. Yeah. Um, but there are there is always a stretch every season where he's shooting like 50, 50, 90, right, for like all of December and January. And then you're like, well, the way Middleton's playing right now, he's a top 15 player. And so while I don't think he's always that, I couldn't keep him off my list just because he has moments like that. Absolutely. So uh, I had Beal at 23. Who did you have in that slot? Um, I had, wait, let me see. Oh, wait, I might have, I might have messed up. Um, <laughs> this happens, this happens every year, wasn't it? I, I had Murray 23, I had Cat 22. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, sorry, I, I, uh, I actually had the Murray 22 on my dock, but I switched it last minute in my head. Um, so I have Murray 23, I'm sorry. No, no worries. I think it's it's a tradition every year. Like I either convince you to put somebody like Paul Millsap. I think the first year, then it was Chris Paul last year, um, and uh, yeah, this time uh, we'll we'll see if, if either of us. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and convince you. You you'll be amazed to hear this. I'm not gonna try and convince you to put Lamarcus Aldridge in your top thirty because he's not in mine this this time around. Wow, he had a good run though. <laughs> yes, he did. So just to reiterate for everyone listening. 21 for me was Kyrie, 22 was Cat, and 23 was Jamal Murray. So I don't have two number 22s. Okay, so I guess I'll say mine too. 21 for me was was Cat, 22 was Middleton, and 23 was Beal. Uh, so okay. mo- moving on to number 24, that's where I have Jalen Brown. Wow! That's amazing. No, I, I, I love that as a Celtics fan. I, I, <laughs> Well, I know, I know. Talking last year, that you, uh, you know, I, I was higher on Jalen Brown, I think, than, than than you are, and you have been. But uh, you know, I loved his, uh, I loved his season he put together last year. He was great in the regular season. He had, he was one of, you know, the the better. I, I think he he was arguably the second best player on the Celtics last postseason, behind Jason Tatum. Um, the the way you know he's he's a versatile defender. He. He really locked down Pascal Siakam. I think that was an underrated part of them being able to get through that series against the Raptors was his man-to-man defense shutting down Siakam on the block. Uh, and offensively, he is so good in terms of being able to put up not only 20-plus points in the regular season, but also in the playoffs without any plays called for him. And I think that is, is such a valuable trait a guy that can do a little bit of everything. He can take a guy off the bounce if there's a cl- hard closeout. He can hit the three. Uh, he can he can attack a mismatch on occasion. I, I really love Jalen Brown, and I, I think the, the Celtics have a great duo moving forward. So Jalen was in my honorable mention, so certainly while I was um, sounded shocked, it's not like you're blindsiding me. You know, I definitely <laughs> see the case. I uh, thought he was a you know, playing like a borderline all-star to start last season. Um, but I guess where I come down on with Jalen is I just want to, you know, you know me, I like passing. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I don't necessarily see it with him. And I feel like the Celtics offense is so weird because while he does have no place called for him, he really is the beneficiary of a lot of strong ball movement and penetration, um, whether it's, Kemba, Hayward, Marcus Smart, Tatum. Um, oftentimes, I feel like his teammates are 
just as responsible for some of the closeout attacks and finishes. It's obviously great that Jalen can do it, but he's in a great environment for him. I don't want to dock him for that. I just feel like I spread the credit for his buckets more evenly across the Celtics team than you might. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the and and yes, he he is a, a below average passer, and that might be being polite. Um, uh, the, the I guess I can overlook it to a certain extent again, given his role. He's not your primary initiator. He's probably not even a secondary initiator. He's just an off ball player. He's really, in my mind. Um, like three and D in the best possible form because he can hit the three, he can play the defense and be very versatile on that end. But then also he can do the stuff beyond just the shooting, which is attacking closeouts and uh, and driving in and, and playing in transition really effectively. So to me, um, you know, yeah, he's just like an A plus plus version of what a three and D guy can be. And to me, that that puts you in the top thirty. The other thing I'll say about his defense is, I mean, he shut down Siakam, like, full stop. They didn't have to send a double. Um, Great on-ball defender. I do think, you know, when you look at him off-ball versus, like, someone like Tatum, where you just see that extra gear of, like, events creation and, you know, disruption. Um, I don't know if Brown is quite there. Maybe he hasn't asked to be because he usually gets the on-ball assignment and everybody else roams off-ball. But that will also be something I'm looking forward to seeing if he improves um, this season. I think he will eventually, if not this season. But, you know, I see this. I see him getting to this spot for me sooner or later. You know, he is still only, like, what, 23? Yeah. 24. And, and, so and he certainly has time. And that's why I think the whole... Tatum Brown combo is so perfect because you brought it up that you know Tatum is uh, developing as a passer and is a is a um, is a, is a number one creator. Brown can be the off ball guy, and then even so on offense it fits. And then defensively, Tatum's strength is the help defense, and Brown's strength is probably the man to man. So I think their their skill set really works well together, which is why I, I I like the Celtics' future and those two guys playing together. But I, I agree his his help defense certainly can improve, and maybe I'm overrating him for for being a, a really good one on one stopper. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I just really like Jalen Brown, and also he he'll occasionally attack the he's a solid he's developing as a rebounder as well and. And he gets a, a he sneaks in and gets some offensive rebounds that are that are pretty helpful at times as well. Yeah, I'll go with my twenty-four. Yeah, it's the guy he shut down is uh, Pascal Siakam. Okay, so I have Siakam at twenty-seven, so we're pretty close. Okay, so you didn't drop him too far based on the playoffs. You know, maybe if the bubble never happened, I'd have him top twenty. Agreed. Um, but it gave me some you know hard truths that while he is a very good player, he's one that you can scheme out of a series. Well, and I think there's a chance that that he improves in a way that maybe that's no longer the case in a year or two. Um, I think one of the things that the Celtics did was, you know, uh, Siakam has that pet move, I think, where he he turns over the right shoulder on the block. And the Celtics basically said, no, you're not, we're not going to, we're going to take that completely away. You're going to have to shoot over your left shoulder, those right hand jump hooks, and we're going to live with the results. And he just couldn't make them. Um, If... If he develops that uh, and also continues minorly improving with his ball handling and his three-point shooting, 
Um, I could easily see him coming back and, and having a really good postseason next next time around. But yeah, based on what we saw, it was it was a very disappointing effort from him. And and frankly, you know, I picked the Raptors to win that series in seven. Ended up being the Celtics won it in seven. But Siakam really, to me, was the difference in in uh, why the Raptors lost that. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it was the kind of the game within the game of. Uh, you know, who would be better between Kemba and Tatum or Lowry and Siakam? And maybe you could say Lowry was a little bit better than Kemba. I thought Kemba, you know, despite all the flack he got in the Heat series, had a very good Raptor series. Um, but Tatum was just a few levels beyond Siakam in that particular series. Yeah, so um, uh, I had Jamal Murray then at my number 25. So who did you have in that spot? Uh, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, right, okay. Yeah, I put the Raptors together. Um, I expect, you know, either Lowry to probably jump up or Siakam. You know, you never want to put another lead past him based on what we've seen. Um, but, you know, just kind of putting them both in, like, the t- top 25 range for now. Okay, um, so uh, we're, we're getting near the end here. At number 26, I have Drew Holiday. Ooh, I love that. Uh, he was an honorable mention for me. I, I, I want to see what he looks like as a creator after, you know, kind of taking a backseat to guys like Ingram and Zion when he returned. Um, but go ahead. Well, you, you've always been you've always been pretty high on Holiday. In fact, I think you've been higher on Holiday than I have. In, oh, in... I, I'm a big Drew guy. Like, that is the guy I always go to bat for. I just, in this construct, I just don't know if he'll... Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think Middleton's their second best player still by a hair. Yeah, and and I agree with that because I had Middleton at twenty two and Holiday at twenty six. But uh, right. um, you know, I, I think he's uh, uh, you know the the role that he's filling essentially is Eric Bledsoe's role, and I think defensively it's perfect for him. Um, he's he's going to be able to to do that if not a little. Uh, if not at the same level, maybe even a little bit better than Bledsoe did. And then offensively, yeah, I think he's um, you know hopefully going to take some creation, and yeah, hopefully his his off the dribble three point shot improves a little bit this year. Uh, but then also as a spot up shooter, he's not great at that, but he's a definite upgrade over uh, over Bledsoe. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I had him ranked 24 for premium hoops, um, and. You'll say, well, why don't, why, what, what, what's going to be so different about this year? And I, it's more that I just expect a few young guys to pass him. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah, who do you have then at, at your number 26 spot? Not a young guy, but we'll, uh, Kemba Walker. Okay. So Kemba was in my, uh, my honorable mentions. And, yeah, I think even last year we had a decent gap in how we felt about him. Yeah. He's my type of player, like we've talked about. You know, the guy who can uh, consistently offense um i'm concerned about the knee and even thought about moving him off the list because of it i think you'll see a really uh slow start to the regular season for him but just talent wise if he's right near the end of the season i think we will get like a round like top 30 level impact from him like we did until you know a few things kind of went awry in the heat series i don't i don't think it's quite as overblown as some people think it was, you know, I don't think, I, I think he's still our second best player based on my rankings, um, and really good offensive creator, but 
yeah, there's reasons to maybe move him down. And I, and he seems like maybe the most likely Conley candidate for me where, you know, I have him in the 20s and he kind of falls off a little bit and I'm like, well, what was I thinking there? Yeah. Um, again, like I, I think watching watching the playoffs last year, I think the um, the two guys for me for the Celtics that I was like, they need to be on the floor in crunch time were were Tatum and Brown and and Kemba Kemba at times yes was was effective at other times uh, given his lack of size defensively he got taken advantage of and then also you saw with with zone defenses from the Raptors and the Heat at times were able to to take his offense away uh, now you can say that that did help get some other guys some open looks um, which you know yeah sure that uh, that is something that you got to give Kemba credit for but at the same time. He did seem kind of out of it, and uh, yeah, like, you know, this was really his first experience going beyond the first round in a postseason run, and, uh, you know, I wasn't overly impressed. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't terribly disappointed, but it wasn't a situation where I came out, like, thinking more highly of Walker than I did going in. How did you feel about him in the Raptors series? Because I think Tatum was the best player there, but I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he he had his moments. Of course, he had that uh, that play in Game Three where he set up Tice for the dunk, which uh, would have been the game winner if not for OG Ananobi's uh, buzzer beater with .5 on the clock from the left corner. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was I thought he was good, not great in the Raptors series, and I That's would right. say he was was below average in the Heat series. It's not a good sign if you know people are asking if Goran Dragic outplayed you. And Goran was an all-star for that stretch, but not what you hoped for going into it. Right. Kemba Walker and the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that was uh, that was your number 26, correct? Yeah, and Middleton was my 27, so I can just do my 28 because I'm excited to get it off. Well, and I had Siakam at 27, so uh, perfect. Yeah, go for it. Trey Young. Okay, I have Trey Young uh, as my uh, number 29. Oh, you included Trey. Yes. I'm so happy. See, I thought he was going to be one of your honorable mentions just because you seem to value uh, guard defense more than me, and that's probably he's the antithesis of that. Right. I just I just think Trey Young's going to be a top ten offensive player this season. I think the what the Hawks did this off season. I don't necessarily love it for their long term success, but short short term wise, I think the Hawks are going to be a contender to make the playoffs. I think they're absolutely. I I would I would bet money on the Hawks being a top ten offense in the NBA this year, and I think that's in large part due to Trey Young. Um, he already put up the insane counting stats last year, uh, and and I think that's actually going to lead to to more success in terms of wins and losses in the twenty twenty one season. Yeah, and when you just look at like all of his offensive metrics, now I'm not a guy who just shows people metrics and is like, read them and weep. This is what they say, so shut up. Um, I'm someone who kind of takes everything as part of the bigger picture. But when you just look at every single offensive box plus minus, offensive uh, player impact plus minus, offensive win shares, all of them paint Trey as a top 10 offensive player last year. And when you just combine that with the fact that he's getting more supporting talent, um, I agree with you, top 10 offensive player in the league, and that buoys him to the point where he is a top 30 player. Yeah, um, I, I think they're going to be an absolute joy to watch 
uh, he he is uh, yeah absolutely one of the best passers. Uh, he's he's developing as a as an outside shooter. He obviously has unlimited range. Um, and yeah, they've they finally got a supporting cast that actually makes some sense offensively. I mean, you talk about Capella, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, even just those three around Trey Young, the offense is going to be just fearsome. Yeah, there's definitely a question of, you know, do they need to do this? But taking off my, like, Sam Hinkie brain that wants to build through the draft and tank, uh, you know, it's going to be enjoyable. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I had Ben Simmons at 28, and then I said I had Trey Young at, uh, at 29. So who did you have at 29? I went uh, Zion. Okay, so you had Zion in your top 30 last season, and uh, I did not. And uh, same same this time. I have him in my honorable mentions. He's a guy that, again, uh, you know, could be like, uh, you know, we're talking about this next year. Maybe he's what Luka Doncic was, where but he's all of a sudden a top five guy. I think it's, uh, it's that kind of crazy of a range. Uh, and, and a lot of it just comes down to, is this guy going to be healthy? Exactly. This is why I had him 30 last year, 29, so I'm not really budging on him. I think maybe this year will be what I expected last year to be, um, if he is able to play. Yeah. I think while I was, he exceeded my expectations offensively, um, he's further away defensively than a lot of us anticipated. Um, now, I think part of that is just any player playing his first 13 NBA games is going to be overwhelmed by the speed of the rotations and all that. So I'm not too worried about his long-term defensive outlook, but it's still going to be a learning curve, and that's why I'm not moving him much up much higher than I would last year. Yeah, um, the Pelicans are going to be real interesting. I, I don't love the fit with uh, him and Steven Adams. Um, but I'm okay with it. Are you? Um, on yeah, offense? Because, well... <laughs> The way I see it is, of course, you'd love to like surround Zion with five, with four shooters, but I think that he is less reliant on having a perfectly spaced floor than a lot of people realize. Um, you know, Derek Favors was in there last year, and he was still able to you know beat his man. And since he's doing it from like a face-up situation, they don't have as much time to send help, even if Derek Favors is in the dunker spot. So it's not like the lane is too clogged for him. If anything, he was finishing through the help defense anyway. And uh, while obviously that's not as good as having four shooters, I think it's still enough breathing room for Zion to do his thing. Yeah, I guess like um, I, I agree with that. He is like that elite of a finisher and just consistently gets to the rim that maybe it being clogged isn't that big of a deal, but it's still not it's still not uh, perfect. And then also defensively, I would much rather have an elite rim protector, elite shot blocker next to him. Oh, uh, I think Stephen Adams is that. You think uh, Stephen Adams is elite as a rim protector? Well, like sub-elite. But the guys who are elite, there aren't many of them. So I'm fine with Adams. I think Okay, so I definitely agree that the contract was a head-scratcher. Um, just because, like, why are you committing this much money to Steven Adams? Um, I get that. I get that. But as far as fit, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, the only other issue I have with Adams is he seems to be one of those players that 
peaked at a very early age and is aging out quicker than your typical player. Um, he, he, he was seemingly like, uh, you know, moving slower last season in his age, like 26 year. Um, whereas, you know, I thought he looked much more athletic as like a, you know, 22 year old on that 2016, uh, Thunder team. So that is a bit concerning, especially since they're committing his, for his age, 27, 28 and 29 seasons. But, um, yeah, Zion will be Zion and that uh, that whole Pelicans team will be real interesting to watch. I I wanted to uh, you know I kind of had a, a a tie for my number thirty, and I was kind of hoping that you would uh, you would talk me into one or the other. Okay, so who is your twenty nine? So my twenty nine was Trey Young, okay, and and right. twenty eight was Ben Simmons. I guess right, I didn't. So who are your thirties? Draymond Green and Donovan Mitchell. Ooh, both my hardest cuts. <laughs> so I can't help you. <laughs> so Those were like the two ones where last night I was like, I probably screwed this up not having both of them. Yeah, so I mean with Draymond, I think it's the same thing that we talked about with Middleton and, you know, just that overrating one bad season. He was awful last year. Um, and we knew he would be bad as the best player on a team, and yet we it still seemingly feels like we all let it affect our opinion of him. Um but, uh, yeah, maybe just the fact that it was as bad as it was. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, then, but then also, you know, as, as we talked about, if the Warriors get into a play-in game as, like, the 10 seed, uh, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to be playing Steph Curry and Draymond, and in a large part that's due to Draymond because I think he can be an absolute monster if he gets a chance to study his opponent and, and play at 100% on the defensive end. He can still be one of the most destructive defensive pieces in the league what will likely happen is that if he does get into that situation i'll be kicking myself for um you know not having him in my top 30 or even top 20 um but with draymond the question is like does he provide enough leading up to that to ensure that you're in that position Right, and and Mitchell's the almost the exact opposite thing. Where are, are we just overrating the one series he had um, after yeah, you know? Seven be- points. I don't care, like you know, what the context is. That's really hard to ignore. That's fifty-seven points in a playoff game. Right, um, but you know, the year prior, he um, he was pretty poor in uh, in that Houston series. Uh, he's been kind of inconsistent. In the in the regular season throughout his career, he still hasn't. Uh, you know, he he also seemed to develop as a passer through that playoff series. So you wonder: is the passing real? Is the pull up shooting real? There's a lot of question marks around Mitchell and whether you believe in that. I tend to feel more confident believing in what Jamal Murray did than I do in what Mitchell did. But uh, certainly, yeah. So I mean, we're we're talking in circles, and I still don't know who I'm going to pick here. I I. I I guess I'm going to go with Mitchell because, as you said, the 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 regular season production, there might be just such a significant gap between him and Draymond that I'll probably go Mitchell at 30. And maybe that, you know, production doesn't matter as much. Uh, with Mitchell's passing, I, I'm really at the point where, you know, he shows flashes every playoffs, and I, you know, expect him to, like, take a leap next year, and then you kind of see him as a, mediocre pick-and-roll passer in the regular season. I have a, I, I have a theory about this. Um, 
I think if he gets multiple opportunities to look at the same coverage on a team, he can eventually, you know, make those higher level reads. But when he's playing a different team every night, it doesn't come quite as easy to him. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's it's more like the in the Westbrook mold where it's not a, he's not a natural passer. He's more of a studied passer. Um, right. So if it's if it's game three and he's like, oh well, Millsap's gonna you know help off the that corner because he did that in the first two games. Um, then the pass might come easier to him. It's kind of like counterintuitive because it's like, shouldn't we value a guy who plays better in the playoffs than in the regular season? But um, this might be a situation in which playing in the playoffs is easier because you're getting to play the same team over and over again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Mitchell sort of begrudgingly. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's hear who you had. Uh, I believe we're up to 30 for you as well, right? Yeah, and this one might come out of left field for you. Okay, I can't wait. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis. Whoa! <laughs> Yeah, I I had not even considered him. He's not. I I had like fifteen honorable mentions, and he's not one of them. <laughs> no one will be able to push down my undying love for Demontis Sabonis. Um, All right, make I'll, the case. I'll, I'll make my case. Yes. Um, this is me anticipating that this is going to be the year he shoots threes. Um, he showed a little bit of it last year, but. Obviously, he was, you know, their center who couldn't shoot. And I also think that Miles Turner might not be a pacer, so that'll just make it more about him on the team, you know. He'll be the fulcrum of everything they do. Not that he isn't already, it'll just be more of that. And when you give him a jump shot, which he may or may not have, I'm hoping he will based on this prediction, um, he's already, you know, either the second or third best or fourth best passing big man. You know, order him, Bam, and Mark Gasol, however. I think Mark, because of his decline elsewhere, might be out of that conversation now. But it's either Sabonis or Bam, who's the one behind Jokic. Yeah. And when you look at how much their guards struggled without him in the bubble, you just realize that he makes it so much easier to just facilitate things as a guard. Because, you know, if you don't have an open look, you can dump it off to him in the short roll. And he will make the correct play. You know, he can drive to the rim, solid handle, uh, you know, in straight line. He can finish through contact. Um, he can find whatever pass is open. And that all is just going to be amplified as soon as he has shooting gravity. He did last season. He was a good mid-range shooter. But more often than not, teams would just let him take that. As soon as you get a situation where the center or a power forward is closing out to Sabonis, that's just going to uh, create more options for him. Um, and I think he really has a chance where he'll be like, you know, a top 20 offensive player. Now, a lot of people looked at his like all-star nod as like, oh, well, he's the guy who made it because the Eastern Conference doesn't have many all-star caliber players. You know, the Vucevic of that year, uh, with all respect to Nikola Vucevic. But I think this is more, in, that's more indicative of where his career might go um, with continued improvement. And I expect him to make those improvements. Yeah, that's... Um... That's interesting. Yeah, he uh, he's developed into a. I guess you you might know this better than me, but uh, to me he's been like a decent to good mid range shooter, not elite. Like he's not at like Dirk right. levels or like a prime Chris Bosh levels as oh, far no, as. No, no, 
I'm just saying like 45 percent. You know, if you leave them open, you'll you'll probably can't. Yeah. But so. Yeah, so then the the question is like, yeah, if he does expand his range, is he a like a Joel Embiid shooting thirty percent from three? And if that's the case, how much is that actually helping him? I know you brought up the idea of like that does enable him to his passing skills to be even more showcased. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just I think he's a solid player. I just you know when I look at him, other than the passing. I wonder, like, okay, is there anything else that he's, like, even, like, A-minus at? <laughs> rebounding. I forgot to mention rebounding. Yeah, I guess rebounding. Um, but, like, who cares that much about rebounding? You know, it's nice, but, like, Tristan Thompson just is getting, you know, signed with uh, whatever it was, like, $9 million, and he's as good of a rebounder, you know? Well, look at Hassan Whiteside in terms of the counting stats. He he puts it up, puts him up, and I don't really think it helped his team in, in any way. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so that's my big thing. And then defensively also, he's kind of, and, and that's been the, the big concern about moving on from Turner and having Sabonis as your full-time five is, is he good enough as a rim protector to be, you know, the anchor to your defense? Uh, he also, I don't think, like, you know, is is some great like uh, switch guy either? Um, I think yeah. There's definitely matchups where he gets exposed. Um, I think back to when he played four also against the Celtics in the 2019 first round, and you know Tatum was just licking his chops to get ISO onto Sabonis at the four. Um, and then you look at you know you, you raise the great question of you put him at the five. Is that going to be a passable defense? Um, I don't know if he has that vertical, uh, you know, element that a lot of rim protectors seem to need. Um, I think maybe if they like bring him up on the pick and roll a lot, I uh, trust his ability to like make those uh, decisions when rotating. Um, he's been, you know, an above average defender according to metrics, which usually care a lot about that off ball movement. Now you could say a lot of that could also just be uh, the defensive rebounds he grabs, and you know that does skew metrics um, a little high. Trust him over the course of a regular season. This really is just a bet on him being a really impactful offensive player. Um, I felt like maybe this is where I diverge from other people um, and how to kind of assign credit to the Pacers' offense. But I think uh, you know Brogdon is certainly like a good secondary creator, but he was able to be a primary creator mostly because of Sabonis, in my opinion. Yeah, um, and I think they're, uh, uh, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, watching bigs that can really pass, that's just really aesthetically pleasing from a viewer's perspective. And uh, I'm also a big fan of his dad and what he did as a player. So, uh, you know, I, um, I'm i certainly a little surprised, but, uh, you know, I there are, uh, you know, the, there's some there's some things, as you noted, that, could, that can make him uh, you know, maybe not uh, a guy that leads you to a top five offense, but a guy that gets you above average without, yeah, with with a you know average supporting cast due to his ball uh, ball movement, his passing ability, and his ability to to knock down shots and theoretically uh, take it out to the three point line as well. So, should I just mention a few of the guys that I had on my honorable mentions, and you can talk about uh, whoever you want? Yeah, I'll start with. You know, I'll just go back to Mitchell. Um, a lot of it also for me, when I talk about, like, how do we, 
you know, assign credit? How do we space it out among um, the players? You know, you kind of gave Jalen Brown more credit for what I thought was like the Celtics team. Um, Donovan Mitchell's kind of a guy like that for me as well. Um, I think I'm much higher on Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, and maybe even Boyan than consensus. I really think it's a very egalitarian offense, and that's a bigger reason why they're one of the better offenses in the league. Mitchell obviously plays a big part in that, but um, if I thought he played a bigger part, he would have, and maybe even even if he does show that he can play a bigger part, he'll vault right into my top 30. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, I agree with that to a certain extent. I had Mike Conley in my honorable mentions. Uh, you know, a few other guys, notable guys, uh, Brandon Ingram. There's uh, John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, and then a guy also, you know, is uh, in that same mold as my logic around Jalen Brown, but OG Ananobi. Uh, I could see him taking a pretty big leap. I thought, you know, what the experience he got in, in last season's playoffs – uh, will will aid his confidence, and we saw him taking the first steps towards you know attacking closeouts and and making the reads off of that. Uh, so you know I could see OG Ananobi taking another leap at his age and becoming like Brown, just that A plus three and D type player. He already is one of the best one on one defenders in the NBA, if not the best. Uh, so so he's another guy and. You know, um, T.J. Warren, uh, a couple of centers, offensively talented, and, and Yusuf Nurkic and, and Vucevic, and then also Blake Griffin, a guy we've talked about on basically every one of these that we've done for various reasons, and if he's healthy again, maybe he comes back into this conversation. I had all those guys. Well, I, I don't know if I had thought of the centers. That's actually a good point, but definitely um, alongside Mitchell, I had, you know, Ja and... Uh, what was the other ones? Kristaps. De'Aaron um, Fox. De'Aaron Fox. Yep. De'Aaron Fox was a big one for me that I thought about. Um, I'll mention him just so you don't have to because I know you're not the biggest fan of him. Um, Russell Westbrook. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, but at the same time, when he did have a perfect environment for him, he did look like a top 20 player last year. Uh, who knows if that will be the case? Um, obviously, he wasn't quite right for the playoffs, and maybe even if he was, he would have fell short of expectations. But at least deserves a mention, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, if there was an honorable mentions to my honorable mentions, he probably would have made that list. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, you couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I am notoriously low on Russell Westbrook, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably not a surprise to anyone listening. But Scott, I, I've had you on long enough. This has been a blast, though, as usual. Really fun uh, breaking this down. Thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time. Oh, yeah, this is always one of my favorite podcasts to do. So, you know, 364 days till the next one. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so... uh, You can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, uh, 
If you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does a d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or... The DMV Number 97 Or House cleaning Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun Play over a hundred different games online For free from anywhere You could redeem some serious prizes Chumbacasino.com Live the Chumba life No purchase necessary Void where prohibited by law T plus terms and conditions apply See website for details Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.